Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Yes, we have merch. As you know, merch.commentarymagazine.com for your t-shirt, sweatshirt, keep the candle burning, crushing morosity, tote bag, and Commentary Magazine logo needs. Go to merch.commentarymagazine.com. With me, as always, senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, John. You That's didn't you. say hi. I'm just, I'm taken aback. Oh my God, I forgot <laughs> to say hi. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. There we go. Normalcy restored. <laughs> yes. Executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. I want to say you didn't even get me give me a chance to say hi yesterday, and it it uh, threw off my rhythm throughout the rest of the day. Okay, I, I see. I'm I haunted. Back to normal. I'm haunted. I have to tell you guys, I'm haunted, as you know, because we have we have five ads on the show today. So I am like very conscious of time and needing to move things along, and obviously that um, that that has interfered with the good working order of our ritualistic openings, and I apologize very much. Um, speaking of ritualistic openings, uh, we now have our standard uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo opening. So let's uh, let's let's talk about Andrew Cuomo and uh, bring up this very simple thing. So yesterday, uh, another story came out: a third woman claiming inappropriate contact or uh, inappropriate interaction with Andrew Cuomo with a photo that is on the front page of the New York Times of Cuomo. <laughs> with his hands on her face at a wedding, uh, and then she sort of pulls away. And um, I just want to say one thing, and then we can get to this photo and the two stories, one of which involves him kissing making an un- uh, kissing someone on the lips in an unwanted fashion, and the other uh, making uh, sexual comments of a, of a leading nature to a young staffer, almost 40 years younger than he, whom he was clearly trying to pick up. Uh, if her if her account is true, and Cuomo doesn't deny her account, just says he was uh, being funny and he was mentoring. Um, all of this starts uh, coming apart for Cuomo with the release of uh, Attorney General New York Attorney General Tish James's report on the deceptions in reporting on the number of nursing home deaths in New York State from COVID. And uh, we are now in a period, we are now at a moment when uh, the wheels are coming off and people are calling for Cuomo's resignation. But they don't seem to be calling for Cuomo's resignation because of the nursing home scandal. They're calling for his resignation because of his, because of this conduct with the three women. And uh, that's, so Noah, you were distressed by the fact that this third woman's story is a story. You want to sort of go into that a little bit? To a very narrow degree. Um, and it's part of a, a particularly sordid habit that we're witnessing um, on display in, in the part of the press. So yesterday this story drops, which is another woman accusing Andrew Cuomo of being rather handsy and um, aggressive and touching her in inappropriate ways in public. Um, so it's not assault necessarily, but it is a, a violation and unwanted contact. Um, and there's a picture that accompanies this. It's an amateur photo of Andrew Cuomo sort of overbiting his lip like that um, and aggressively like touching her face. And she's making this wincing expression that's kind of like, get away from me. And I'm discomfited by that only insofar as 
photographs are snapshots in time and you don't know what happened before and you don't know what happened after. And you don't know whether this was just, uh, and more often than not, you've seen interactions like that from another perspective become more innocuous with other photos where it just suggests that this was just a moment that was made, everybody was making a terrible face. And if you judge this event based on that, you're not getting a full picture of the event. Now, I don't know the full picture of the event. Nobody knows the full picture of the event, but the universe of political commentary descended on this picture as though it was the smoking gun. And there's, again, we've been talking about this like it's Glasnost and it's really obnoxious. That's Seth Mandel's uh, description of how everybody's behaving about this. Now the story can be told. And it is so profoundly unseemly to see this from members of the press who held their tongues for a year and a half while places like CNN were doing executing journalistic malpractice. And they all knew it, but they couldn't say anything about it until the dam has broken. And now everybody's got opinions on this thing. Well, where were you a year ago? Where was your integrity then? Well, and there's also there we were we were talking about this on our on our group chat last night. There there is a political incentive for Democrats who are piling on Cuomo right now about the sexual harassment stuff to to take him out with that, right? Take him out at the knees on the sexual harassment stuff, revive the Me Too argument, get him out of there. Because if they actually have to get him out of there based on his policy making with regard to the nursing homes, then that opens up a whole new uh, Pandora's box about how blue state governors were actually governing during COVID and how they used or abused their emergency powers. So there, there's a weird and cynical interpretation to make about this, which is it's actually politically easier for them to take them out on the sexual harassment and sexual assault charges. Um, I One thing I want to say to Noah's point, I agree that we, we've often seen these photos held up as examples of, you know, uh, men being cretins. I will say in this context, she did provide uh, the, the backstory, which is that he had put his hand on her bare back. She brushed him off and he still came in. Right. So like there, there's a sense in which he didn't take the subtle hint. And then she found herself, you know, with it, with someone's hands on her face, you know, uh, in her face, basically. Yeah, so the, the point is, I don't know the story there, and but you don't either. Nobody right. does. OK, except for one story one, briefly. So we all need to reserve judgment there, but we shouldn't have to reserve judgment about the nursing home story. Right. This is this has been well documented in the press. It wasn't. High, it's a question of emphasis. It wasn't emphasized. It wasn't highlighted when the AP story dropped in August. It landed with a thud because the national press didn't want to take it up. It was conflicted with the narrative. So what they're they're unloading on now is a, is an effort to overcompensate for their silence over the course of the year, which resulted in the negligent maltreatment and subsequent deaths of thousands of elderly people. So they're using this photograph to make up for all that lost ground, all that lost time. And it is unprofessional to a degree that I don't think is forgivable. But Abe, yeah, a part of this, I mean, you know, if Cuomo um, is uh, taken down uh, by the harassment angle, uh, as opposed to the nursing homes, um, this is in part due to the broad fact that cultural issues have uh, much more valence today than policy does generally, right? I mean, that is this, that is where all the excitement is. That is what, what everything sort of hangs on, even with COVID. I mean, you know, even in making COVID policy, the salient facts there are, ha- have to do with how they relate to the culture war more, more often than not. So it right. doesn't well, surprise it's like, me. It's like this headline. I sort of talked about this yesterday. Headline in the Washington Post today top right-hand corner of the front page, equity worries and latest vaccine. Remember, we talked about this uh, yesterday a little bit that um, because Johnson and John, the Johnson and Johnson efficacy numbers 
are are lower, uh, though apparently not really. I mean, don't ask me what all this means, but the idea will be if you get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, you're a second class citizen. Like that. That is the lead story. Uh, in some ways, if you believe newspaper design, that's the lead story in the in the Washington Post today. Equity worries in latest vaccine. There's a third vaccine. We got a third vaccine in less than a year. Um, and and it's a single shot and therefore much better uh, in that sense because you just one and done. You, to, you know, do it room temperature, right? It, it doesn't have to be uh, in, the, in these refrigerators. So literally people can drive to somebody's house and give them the shot if, they, if they're homebound or this is probably what's going to happen with kids when uh, at schools and stuff like that and now this has become the the way to get to this is to talk about it as though it's an equity issue so that is exactly what you mean right that's exactly what you're Pre- precisely about. it yeah 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 right so but so it would make sense that it, that that some the aspect of of what of Cuomo's behavior that has to do with um what's going on in the culture is 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 what Gets him is 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 what gets the ball rolling as opposed to um, uh, policy horrible you know policy and 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 a, and, a, and a policy cover up too. But even then, Christine, you noticed that uh, we have an out when it comes to culture because our cultural fears have shifted, according to New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg. We don't we don't have we have a cultural emphasis that has moved on. Okay, Noah gets a lot of credit for this cuz he's been saying this for some time now all summer, which is that, you know, what ha- when we whenever me too or sexual assault or sexual harassment comes up, everyone's like what happened to the me too movement? And as Noah has correctly said multiple times, it, race has replaced sex as the kind of, you know, the the issue of the day and, you know, now Michelle Goldberg, a liberal columnist at the New York Times is like, "Oh, you know, she does this hand-wringing column about, you know, what should we do? What's to be done about Cuomo because now we care so much about race. I mean, it's just, it's a ridiculous column, but I, I I think, Noah, you deserve a lot of credit for having presciently predicted exactly what we're now seeing unfold um, today with Cuomo's sexual harassment allegations. Thank you. That's kind of you. <laughs> but I mean, this is such an obnoxious, disingenuous effort to weasel her way out from her obligations. Yes. As Precisely. a columnist to say, I can't, be, I can't display much integrity right now because the people demand it. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, uh, she's a hard leftist, and hard leftists aren't that excited, aren't that interested in culture war issues. They're interested in, they're more interested in, you know, uh, you know, destroying Israel, which is a big, uh, big winner for her, and you know, and sort of Marxist economic issues. And so, uh, this is always this is a bit long fight on the left, right, dating back to the counterculture in the '60s, which is like, don't don't trouble me with this. You know, we're trying to impose socialism on the United States. We don't need all of this nonsense about class, about about race and and sex. Well, and if you read, like yeah, that. if you read anyone's memoir from the kind of radical sixties, uh, if if they were in the Black Panthers, if they were the Weather Underground, any of these groups, the way the men in these groups, these enlightened liberal radical men, uh, treated the women in their lives is horrific. I mean, there, there's kind of a yeah. consistent theme right. of misogyny and, right. in some cases, physical right. violence. Right, but I mean, look, this dates back. We're getting. We're getting into the ultimate American hypocrisy, the ultimate American political hypocrisy, which was Clarence Thomas uh, and uh, Bill Clinton, right? So depending on who is the villain and who is the hero here, uh, race takes a backdoor to gender, right? That was Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. Didn't matter that Clarence Thomas was a 
uh, a, a kid from a rural community uh, in Georgia who, you know, pulled himself up by his bootstraps, was a serious thinker, uh, and a and a sort of remarkable American story, uh, who uh, about whom no one had a bad word to say except for this claim that he made her feel uncomfortable. But that was everything that mattered until because he was a conservative, and she and 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 then until seven years later, when suddenly a liberal president was uh, accused of uh, much, much, much more serious sexual harassment problems. And the and the wagons were circled. So uh, these things are all a question of what's instrumental, which is sort of what we're talking about here. Is uh, what's the instrumental means by which Andrew Cuomo is laid down low? And if the idea here is that uh, it's more fun, I mean, not that anyone is doing this consciously, really. That's that's the important part. But it's more fun or sexier or something that it be about that it that it be about. Uh, you know, sexual harassment than it be about killing old people. Um, the harassment, though, is also a more likely candidate to uh, bring him down because it comes in successive waves. As I said yesterday, you know, we don't know, but usually in these cases, we're talking about a pattern, which means we see more names come up that happens. And, and that's exactly what happened yesterday after right. the podcast. We saw, we saw a new accusation. Um, if there are, uh, successive revelations, you know, in the coming days or weeks, whatever, that, that keeps hitting. That's, that, that, that's like a new wave um, that, that threatens him every time, which is, which right. is a different uh, dynamic than, than right. what we have, than what you deal with, with the but, but, homes. But it's important to say that you could have a similar wave relating to the details of the nursing home scandal were it, investigated well, which is what I talked about yesterday, which is, uh, okay, so it's over. Uh, policy was changed and all of this. The question is what happened and how conscious and thoroughgoing was the cover-up and what were the details of the cover-up? Are there memos? Were there uh, were there contacts between the state health department and the nursing homes? Uh, who made the decision to suppress the numbers or move them from one column to the other? All of that in the course of an investigation where you are really going at it, uh, you can have revelations every day, even though they're they're about they're about something that happened in the past. Because of course, all of this stuff we're hearing about in relation to the sexual harassment happened in the past. So I want to say one more thing and then move on, which is I'm with Noah. Like, okay, nothing happened. He was at a wedding. He there was a woman. He did something right, and she didn't work for him. So it's not sexual harassment. All of that. The only thing I'm going to say as I was looking at it and thinking about it is it is an incredibly discomforting thing to think that he met her, he didn't know her, and within a couple of minutes he had his hands on her face. Putting your hands on someone's face is an incredibly intimate, space-violating thing. And it is something that lovers do to each other and grandmothers do with grandchildren, and nobody else ever does it. Blind people. Okay, blind people. Fair enough. I'm just saying nobody does this. There's a metaphor this there, but not, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Right. But this is not something that is done, and that was what was so jarring. I didn't really understand this until I sort of thought it through. Like, 
You don't put your hands on somebody's face. Like okay, that's but, but okay, can I just I just yeah. interject here with okay. the token female uh, observation, which is that there is a kind of man, generally entitled, generally full of himself, who viol who deliberately violates women's physical space in just that way as a test, right? It's right. a test. It's like I'm gonna come up and put my hands on you and see what happens. Most women are, you know, swat them away and hopefully they retreat. But in this case, I mean, that the, the pattern issue is to me right. what's fascinating, because if this is how he goes about dealing with an attractive woman he's never met in a public place where there's photographers and everybody knows who he is, yeah. that suggests a, a level of male entitlement about about women who he thinks should you know, respond to him that will definitely have played out in private as we've seen with the, the two right. allegations. So there is, I, we've all, most women have experienced men like this. So actually for me, it was like, oh yeah, he's that guy. So right. it, it is something that happens. It's a kind of male behavior that, that right. obviously we should discourage, but is real. <laughs> well, the word she used in the interview with the New York Times was he acted with impunity. And that observation is central to understanding Andrew Cuomo altogether, which is that he acts with impunity and his method of protecting himself from the consequences of that is to be terrifying to the people whom he acts with impunity against because he is so vicious and he is such a street fighter and he will do anything to protect himself and advance his own interests and they're in an entirely different context, entirely social context, having nothing to do with his position as governor, not dealing with an employee, not dealing with a state employee. He acted with impunity. Thus, it's a it's, it's revelatory about his character and the way he behaves. That doesn't mean that he should stop being governor just because he's a jerk uh, and behaves horribly. And I doubt that this is actually going to bring him down. But... There we are. And also, I want to talk to you guys about a very important related topic to Andrew Cuomo from our friends at the Act in Line podcast, who ask, what good is freedom without virtue? And what are we talking about here but virtue? Join economists, religious leaders, writers, newsmakers, and thinkers every Wednesday for conversations that bridge the gap between good intentions and sound economics on Act in Line, the flagship podcast from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. By demonstrating the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free markets, conversations on Act in Line reveal how economic freedom is essential to creating an environment in which religious freedom can flourish and that the market can function only when people behave morally. Faith and freedom must go hand in hand. So to subscribe to ActonLine, visit acton.org slash commentary or search ActonLine on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are available. That's acton.org slash commentary to subscribe. Abe, get a favorite headline. New York Times uh, published a, had one favorite headline and I have another from the Times do you have it in front of you? Can you read it to us? Can we talk about what it means? COVID-19, colon, the U.S. is edging toward normal, alarming some officials. So um, it is just a sort of update on, a, on, the, on the coronavirus outbreak. Um, it is sort of a collection of, you know, uh, bullet point um, news items, sort of, that, uh, uh, that, that, that have been... Um, you know, happening throughout the day. 
And basically, it is a collection of very good news about reopenings, lower numbers, um, all the stuff that we, you want to hear. And then the sort of last few paragraphs are about uh, Rochelle Walensky at the CDC, cautioning that the decline in cases is stalling, uh, someone else saying that we need uh, six more weeks to, to, to hold tight because we don't know what's going to happen. And um, basically um, backing up the assertion in the headline that says, it is alarming that we are approaching normal. This is, this is, this is something to be concerned about. Uh, I mean, it, th- there you have, there you have the, the, the focus of uh, everything that we're talking about, uh, which is that the logic of the, the logic of the lockdown we were told a year ago was two weeks to stop the spread, not a year to stop the spread. If you had said in March of 2020 that it was going to be a year to stop the spread, I, I, I'm not entirely sure I know what, what the national response would have been. Um, uh, that was why they said two weeks. Uh, and maybe they didn't mean it. And maybe they were excessively hopeful. Uh, but what they said was two weeks to stop the spread, and obviously not everywhere is locked down, and lockdown is a is is too excessive a term for the condition that most of us are are are, are living under now. Um, but you know, business has been destroyed. All, everything that we know, schools. Uh, I think only fifty percent of American school children are in school, and all of that. Um, and here we are, and they're like, no, no, it's only another six weeks, or. It isn't going to be another six weeks. It's going to be you know, masking till 2022 or whatever. And then this is the part that I think is so hard. And Noah, maybe uh, you can help, to, I don't know, separate the strands. Like the classic view of uh, power would say that the people who are exercising it here are really loath to give it up. Um. But, you know, they're cutting off their own noses to spite their face, no? Because they're also living under law. They're also, you know, at what point do they not say this is intolerable? <clears throat> I mean, I th- you'd think if it was only a matter of influence for the good of society, that they be the supercilious bureaucracy would um, preserve its own... Um, authority that they would level with you, but they haven't. And you said it right there that we don't know whether they were being serious about 15 days to stop the spread. And we can't know because they have admitted to lying for the good of the people. Anthony Fauci talked about masking, you know, how he wasn't really sure and kind of not sure whether or not it was valuable early on, but also we really needed that PPP for the public health, for um, hospitals and, and public health care providers. And you know, the threshold of herd immunity was maybe 80%. We're going to bump that to 90% just to make sure that everybody's scared enough sufficiently. This is self-marginalizing behavior. And what we're seeing now is a long delayed onset of the consequences of that, where the public health bureaucracy is simply dismissible because you don't know whether they're telling the truth. And even if they are telling the truth, your your eyes 
convey a different story. Well, and you have to yeah, conveys a different story, and you behave and you you substitute your own better judgment for the excessive recommendations of this public health bureaucracy, which has demonstrated that it doesn't necessarily have your best interests or society's best interests in mind. Uh, well, one example about your eyes um, witnessing a different story, and, and again, I'm, I'm not saying they're lying, but it but it it certainly um, creates a, a contrast. Is that for weeks now we've been hearing the news about uh, variants, all sorts of new variants that are more infectious, possibly more deadly, and um, possibly uh, resistant to vaccines. Um, but from the numbers and from what research there has been with the vaccines, none of that has panned out. I mean, uh, the, if these are if these new variants are if the if they if they are so much more transmissible. Um, it has not shown in the numbers for a very long time. I mean, for for you know, sufficient number of weeks, the numbers were going down rapidly, um, as were deaths. Um, and this and and what what studies there have been um, indicate that uh, the vaccines we have now are effective against new variants too. Well, there's a weird sort of doom scrolling that I think a lot of people are now doing, where because of the way the public health messaging has been uh, since the beginning there's always the sense that like there's another shoe that's going to drop. We just don't know when, right? And so the variants have played that role. You know, the vaccines at, at certain points in time, unfortunately, with the messaging the public health has given, have played that role. So there is a, there, there is a sense, I think, understandably, a kind of anxiety, general anxiety among the public that, well, wait, you know, have we really, you know, we, we almost can't believe it's over. I will say also to Noah's point, it's not just the public health messaging. It's the fact that we've also seen repeatedly over the last year blatant, ridiculous episodes of hypocrisy on the part of the very people who are keeping us in lockdown. The most recent was just last week when the head of the Berkeley, California Teachers Union, who's who's battled vigorously to keep schools closed, was found by a group of, I might, I, I just have to say, they call themselves guerrilla moms, followed him as he dropped off his own child at an in-person school, a private school. So there's so much hypocrisy, you know, Gavin Newsom, all these governors partying and mayors partying. We've also had that, which the, the cynicism plus the anxiety is a, is a pretty toxic combination in terms of the public mood. Right. Now, let me uh, pull back and talk to you about the book. I'm going to be talking to you about all month until until Passover arrives. Mark Gerson's The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life, a study of the Haggadah, the, uh, the text that Jews read at Passover and have been reading at Passover for a millennium. Um, all I want to do today is just read to you the publisher's weekly review of Mark's book. Uh, Gerson, host of the podcast The Rabbi's Husband, provides a revelatory addition to the voluminous literature about the Haggadah. In discussing well-known sections of the text used on Passover, such as the four children or the ten plagues, Gerson suggests the Haggadah isn't just to be used during the Seders. Instead, he argues that all of modern life's great questions are asked and answered in the Haggadah, making it relevant year-round to Jews and non-Jews alike. He buttresses that counterintuitive position with an analysis of the text's core concepts, such as the universal message of the importance of freedom that the Exodus story exemplifies, the primacy of education, and what he terms the greatest principle of the Torah, to love the stranger. Gerson goes on to offer practical suggestions on how best to prepare for the satyrs and ways to supplement the Haggadah, whose text is mostly silent on the actual telling of the Exodus from Egypt. Even those who don't accept the proposition that the Haggadah answers every question will find much to ponder in Gerson's measured, persuasive outing. You know what we call that? That's a selling review. Uh, 
you know, uh, Christine, Noah, and I have uh, all published books, and you die for a review like that. So please take it seriously. Uh, go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, go wherever, and uh, get yourself a copy of the Telling How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life by Mark Gerson. Um, let's just talk here about about uh, power, because are we delineating a conspiracy theory or simply trying to be serious and sober about what it means to exercise power in any polity in any place at any time? Uh, it clearly isn't the case that, you know, the editors of the New York Times and Fauci and, you know, the head of the CDC, that they're, 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 on, they're on secret conference calls or Discord channels or, you know, clubhouse groups or something getting together to discuss how we need to crack down on 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 the reopenings uh in order to further uh the anxiety in the public to control them contain them make them uh, buy our, our our scary stories and you know let us continue to run their lives so that's that's i assume that's not or or my favorite thing which is like keep the pressure on so that the stimulus package the coronavirus relief package passes and 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 there's still pressure on the two wave potentially wavering democrats who might spike it right being Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin who if they were to decide that this thing was a terrible thing they could they could literally upend it themselves and that would be the end of it so maybe they know that they need a lot of pressure on them but obviously this is not a conspiracy of the sort that we imagine conspiracies to be. So what, what is it? Is it a commonality of interest? Is it a worldview? Is it a common worldview? Is it the, is it the logical culmination of a trend in American society uh, that privileges fear and anxiety over health and climate and all of that over dynamism and entrepreneurship and optimism i don't know so that that's that's the larger question that i am posing to you Is, guys. isn't there an aspect of particularly with regard to the the messaging the elite messaging about the pandemic for the past year that we've seen there's a weird there's been a weird um and, and I think uh, negative partnership that's formed between the kind of safetyism rhetoric that's been in the air for the last decade, that everything has to be made 100% safe. Um, that rhetoric combines sort of perfect, perfectly with a technocratic elite worldview, which is a worldview and, and has also been around for a while that says, we can't really trust most people to know what's best for them. You know, we have to give them smaller sodas or they'll get fat. We have to tell them exactly how to do this, that, and the other, or else they'll do the wrong thing. It is an effort at top-down control, but it's it's the overlay of it isn't we're going to control you for your own good. It's this is something that will make you better. Like you'll be more like us. And 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 there is a way in which I don't think it's necessarily done in bad faith by a lot of people. I think it's meant to really improve people. I mean, it always reminds me of the kind of celebrities with their weirdo health fads, which they try to sell to other people. Like they really do think they're doing something good for you. That doesn't make it any less coercive or obnoxious if you're the person on the receiving end of it. But I do think this combination of like safetyism and technocratic top-down elite opinion has met, it was a perfect storm with the pandemic, those things There's, together. I, I totally agree. There's another element, which is also uh, the media. I mean, what, what they need out of this um, is um, to sell stories that are 
that can, can continue to re-up the panic factor, right? Um, uh, and if you, if things are looking good, that becomes a, a challenge. So you, you've got to, you've got to dig up the, the, the scariest elements you can find. But again, I, that's not a conspiracy in the sense that, um, Agreed, uh, yeah. right? So uh, my, my favorite story, the headline that I wanted to point to is another headline in the New York Times this morning that says, variant found in Brazil can cause reinfection study shows. Uh, so there's a Brazilian variant around the city of Manaus, uh, and it's uh, 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 you know mutation of the va- of the virus, and uh, three studies offer a sobering history of its rise. Uh, most likely arose there in November, fueled a surge in coronavirus cases, uh, increased contagiousness. Okay, so uh, I think when you look at this headline, you think what it's saying is that. Uh, you'll be reinfected after you get the vaccine. That is not what the story says. The story says that you might be reinfected if you've had COVID already. Uh, does not speak to the vaccine. The only vaccine that is being used in uh, in Brazil is a Chinese vaccine. Uh, one can presume that it has not been used at a mass scale because I don't think it's being produced on a mass scale. And the story says the studies have yet to be published in scientific journals. Their authors caution that findings on cells in laboratories do not all, always translate to the real world, and they've only begun to understand PI's behavior. That's the name of the variant. So, um, but William Hanaj, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health, says it's right to be worried about PI, and this data gives us the reason why. But what are we worried about? Are, how deeply are we worried about people who've had COVID getting reinfected? If we are worried about people who had COVID getting reinfected, those people can be vaccinated. I mean, in fact, I have a friend who has been vaccinated, has comorbidities, who had COVID back in March. Trump and only, Ma- Trump was vaccinated even though he'd had right, it. Like they they right. received vaccination. Yeah. No, but my friend got it back in March. He produced a lot of antibodies, but he went and got got that he actually was in in a in the right category and got the got the vaccine. So this is kind of like a weird cuz it's not like it's not a it's not an acceptable story. There's a variant and maybe it's the sort of thing that uh, varies so much that it can reinfect you, but it has nothing to do with the story that we are now on. Our concerns here are not about people who've had COVID getting COVID again. Our concerns are about how to get to herd immunity. And obviously one would have hoped or one would hope that having gotten COVID like certain other types of diseases would mean that you are therefore a contributor herd immunity because you're not going to get it again. But if there is a modality to interrupt that, then it's there. It's the, it's the vaccine. And the better news of the day would be that Merck, that in a historic first, in the history of pharmaceutical manufacture, Johnson and Johnson is going to allow Merck, and Merck is going to produce the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in order to create more supply of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Under other circumstances, this might be an antitrust violation. It's certainly a it's certainly a fantastic and interesting issue 
in relation to competition and uh, and you know uh, uh, coordination between r- marketplace rivals. Uh, but in fact, uh, once again, we see here that the uh, that the condemnation and damning of pharmaceutical companies by the by the popular culture is one of the more evil things that has gone on in the last uh, thirty years. Since they are the they are the key to uh, saving us from this worldwide uh, horror. Um, yeah, I never want to hear anything bad about big pharma again, um, and not just because I live in New Jersey, where it's our only economic resource. Um, <laughs> but uh, the you mentioned the China vaccine, and, and we're going to have to start actually um, busting out of the smallness that has been imposed on us by the pandemic in, in relatively short order. The, the Chinese vaccine is part of a uh, soft power diplomatic offensive that China is uh, mounting globally. They've pledged to um, provide it to 45 countries it's already in uh, many, I think, 25 countries globally. They want to make 2.6 billion doses this year. And the efficacy of this uh, of this particular immunization is uh, not uh, thoroughly well studied. Um, so we don't really know. But it behooves us to, once we're swimming in these vaccines by July, we should have enough for everybody in this country and then some, to uh, really... Uh, expedite the process of exporting this globally uh, as uh, a means of competing with the soft power campaign that, that China is waging. And Russia, for example, they also have their competing vaccine. Um, but this is going to be a matter of um, um, diplomatic policy and goodwill and an effort to displace Chinese influence in places like Latin America and South America and Sub-Saharan Africa in a very short order. Absolutely. Um, so guys... You know, dinner time, certainly in my house, chaotic, chaotic, but with Freshly, it's easy. Their chefs take care of your meals a few nights a week and take the pressure off you. Are you stressed? Are you tired? You don't feel like cooking? You know, food that's fast doesn't have to be fast food. Freshly offers quality meals without the hard work of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. Freshly offers chef-made nutrient-packed delicious meals delivered fresh to your door, no cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, so with Freshly, you don't have to. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week, so you can keep your fridge stocked and skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. Visit Freshly.com and choose from over 30 delicious, satisfying, better-for-you meals like steak, peppercorn, sausage, baked penne, or their chicken pesto bowl. Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, taste, and family size. And now our listeners can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. Your meals are always delivered fresh, never frozen, and are ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes. So right now, Freshly is offering our listeners 40 bucks off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash commentary. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash commentary for 40 bucks off your first two orders. That's Freshly.com slash commentary for 40 bucks off your first two orders. Let, 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 let's, let's, uh, let's, let's keep this conversation going because uh you know one of the one of the best pieces that we have uh, published in commentary in the last couple of years is by our tech columnist Jim Meggs uh, about elite panic focusing uh you may remember we we talked about this our, our longtime listeners uh focusing on uh, a, an earthquake in Anchorage Alaska in in the early 1960s where um a lone newscaster, radio newscaster, uh, this uh, who uh, called herself Chance, um, 
uh, it was her last name, uh, this is Chance, um, uh, created an informal, was the way that everybody knew what to do in Anchorage as a result of what was going on with the earthquake uh, because the authorities uh, were withholding information because they were terrified that the public would panic. And this is a phenomenon that he and others call elite panic, that they think that the public can't handle the truth, and so they 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 parcel out the truth in dribs and drabs, and that, in fact, this uh, uh, chance and her listenership were saving people from rubble, were, were getting food to people where who, who didn't have food, were clearing streets uh, of, of rubble and making it possible for, you know, vehicles and stuff to go through. And, and this gave the lie to the idea that a self-governing citizenry can't take care of itself in the midst of a disaster. In fact, it can do so better than a top-down system of, of information transmis- transmission. How, how does that apply here? Abe, you were about to say something. Well, yeah, I want to say it also uh, an important part of that concept, uh, at least for me, was that when you, when you see elite panic, um, officials devote resources to assuaging the the public panic that they think is coming, instead of the actual source of the of the crisis. Right? They 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 devote their efforts to the secondary problem that may or may not exist, which is the 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 public's inability to handle it as opposed to the actual crisis itself. Well, and the minute that the public catches wind that that's in fact what the elites are doing, that is, that's the seedbed for a lot of conspiracy theorizing, understandably so. It's like, well, what else aren't they telling us? And then that feeds on itself as well, which has harmful long-term consequences. Well, I'm sort of thinking about this because of course we have a situation here in the reverse. What One of the things that we're saying is that the elites are fostering panic rather than offering um you know uh, you know sort of doing the thing in the naked gun when leslie nielsen is standing behind the fire in front of the fireworks factory that's exploded saying nothing to see here there's nothing to see here and there's this colossal you know conflagration going on right behind his head uh, but of course what they're saying is go out and you'll die right you're gonna die if you go out but of course i think uh uh, there's a there's a positive promise embedded in the go out and you're going to die, which is we're keeping you safe. This is the way to be safe. This is the way to keep not not get a terrible disease. So if you just listen to us, you'll be safe, and that's better than dying, obviously, or you know making other people sick or something like that. So they are there is some kind of a a positive. Um, and I think maybe that's what people respond to. And of course, the whole thing about the uh, the elite panic is obviously there is some segment of the population that is desperate, terrified, and desperate to be assuaged and wants to listen to authority figures. How else do you explain Andrew Cuomo's, uh, el- you know, the elevation of Andrew Cuomo to a sec- to secular sainthood but um, in 2020? But, uh, you know, not everybody. And uh, that's the complication here, because I guess the fact that what you have is a contagion means that you don't get to pick and choose. You don't say, you don't have to go out, out of your house if you're too scared in the midst of an earthquake, but if you're the sort of person who needs to do something and wants to do something, here's what you can do. But in a contagion, right, the idea that some people can go on living their normal lives and other people uh, can stay inside and take care of themselves. That doesn't quite work because of the problem that the people who go on with their lives could make other people 
sick. Well, and I promise not to bore our listeners with another rant about teachers unions, but I, I, I think there, there's a good example here where a lot of well-intentioned people, including even well-intentioned elites who thought they were doing something for the safety of, of and for the common good, um, people are willing to allow those that sort of you know elite panic to, to play out for a little while. Lots of parents did that with regard to keeping schools closed. That was a pretty popular thing to do right at the beginning. The problem comes when nothing changes and the elites continue to double down on regardless of new developments like a vaccine, like, you know, lowering case rates and lowering death rates. And it's when they're at, you're actually told that's the moment where a lot of people start to feel like who you're going to believe the expert or, you know, me or your lying eyes. Like it's it's not it doesn't any longer comport with the new reality. And there's no shift in 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 uh, in principle and no shift in, in prioritizing. But, you know, so just as that um, gives rise to the conspiracy theorizing and the conspiracy theorists, um, it, it also um, bolsters what I consider to be the, the sort of mirror image, the, the, the awful twin phenomena of the conspiracy theorists, which is the, um, the please protect us, keep us locked down, protect us from everything forever, um, folks, you know, um, uh, because you can, if you, if you either reject the the um the the elite authority on these things um you you reject it at the outset or you you have a breaking point but if you give yourself to it uh and say i'm going to do whatever they say that never ends they can they can they have you forever they can keep saying three masks four masks don't do this well wear a mask at home do it and and that is and you know you are you are you are just as off the reservation as the conspiracy theory well, let me let me give you another analogy. Um, so, when I first started having kids, which was back in two thousand, my 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 oldest was born in two thousand and four. The American Academy of Pediatrics uh, kept issuing bulletins and statements. Right, the 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 biggest one that they issued, which was sometime in the nineties, was kids should no longer sleep on their stomachs because uh, a sudden infant death syndrome could be interrupted, that there were 6,000 deaths a year from SIDS, and that uh, data suggests that if you, if you put kids on their back rather than on their stomach, uh, that the, the, whatever happened to their uh, breathing pathway would be, uh, they would be helped, and, uh, and the data supposedly suggested that those deaths were cut in half by having kids sleep on their back. So there was this great sort of public health success. And then they started issuing a whole bunch of other kinds of things. Don't use this kind of cup because it has something called BPA. And BPA, if you put it in the dishwasher, it it, it, it gives off uh, penumbras and emanations, and then you'll have low sperm count. And there's this. And then the ultimate was no screens till you're two. You are not allowed, it, it, our, our recommendation is no child should be allowed to watch TV until they're two. Uh, okay, so uh, the only real justification, by the way, on the basis of nothing, that's the, the notion that there was evidence to suggest that there was some sort of interruption in cognition by kids watching television. Now, maybe they shouldn't watch television eight hours a day. But no television till you're two uh, was not there. There was no such, it was sort of commonsensical, whatever. But what they did was they were abolitionists. You couldn't watch TV until you were two. Um, so this notion that like parents need a break so they could, they put the kid in front of the TV so they could like put their head down on a, on the couch and like take a rest for 20 minutes um, 
while the kids are watches something, uh, that was not acceptable. So what is the ultimate justification for laying out a public policy prescription like this? It is, okay, maybe no one's actually ever going to do that. you never watch anything until you're two, but maybe this is a way of making sure that people only let their kids watch an hour of TV. And therefore, it's, the, again, a version of the noble lie. Uh, we're telling you this. We know it's not livable. We know that what we're doing is not workable. But we want to make you feel as crappy as possible about the choices that you make. So you'll feel guilty so that you will your guilt will prevent you from doing what you think you should do as a, as a parent. And the problem is that the people who get that message and live it most readily are actually the people who lean it least. Because those are people who do engage with their kids and do read with their kids and are deeply concerned about, you know, like from the outside neurotically about what condition their kids are in and over-involved with their kids and all this. And therefore, they're going to listen to this message and and, and adhere it. Uh, But the people who basically are just going on through their life, they're not going to listen. They'll do whatever. We, you know, I, my, my kids were born in 2006 and we, uh, a group of friends and I who all had young kids around the same time called that ambient parental guilt. So like I had a kid who would happily sleep on his back. You put him on his back. He's happy on his back. He barely budges. I, the other kid was a total flipper. Like he would literally, he was like Houdini. He'd get out of his swaddle. He'd roll. He was like rolling all around all the time. And I had a period of time, six months where I was like, he's going to die if I don't like keep going and checking on him and I didn't sleep. And you should that, say these, these are twins. You yeah, twins. they're twin, twin yeah, boys. Yeah. Um, but it was, but we did, you you know, at a certain point, I was like, I can't live like this. You know, he's obviously sturdy. He's rolling around. That's what he's doing. But we called that there were there was ambient parental guilt around so much. And I do feel like in, the, in a public health context, there's a kind of ambient public health panic. It's a little different than guilting people, although there is certainly an element of guilt. But the messaging is very much about you should be afraid. You should be very afraid, although we're not quite sure exactly the specifics of the fear. Like, you know, it, it could be this thing this week, but this week it's variants and next week it's masks. And but it's ambient. It's an ambient feeling they're trying to cultivate. Yeah. I mean, if you lay out something where you say something like, uh, no one should eat meat, right? Or you should, everybody should eat, you know, M- Michael Pollan, like, eat plants, don't eat meat. What are you doing? It's so be- much better for your health and all of this. The kinds of people who are already cautious and prudent about what they ingest and put into their bodies are going to hear that message like it's through uh, megaphones in their ears. And the people who don't care aren't going to listen at all. So again, you are in a weird way burdening emotionally people who probably need to lighten up a little bit in life rather than have their neuroses and their deepest fears, the buttons pushed. Because they're already cautious. They're already prudent. They're already more careful than 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 other people are. And frankly, they're upper middle class is what they are, o- overeducated, highly educated, whatever. And they and they believe they are credulous about what experts and authority figures tell them. And you know what? That's not true of everybody. Uh, you know. And so that's that's a sort of weird. Uh, I think a weird problem. Uh, and you know, uh, in terms of authority figures that we have right now, who's a bigger authority figure in odd ways than big tech? If you think about it now, we're being told that big tech should have the right to suppress speech needs to, to save our democracy and they're curbing our rights and freedoms by attempting to deplatform speech. They don't agree with 
Now, you could fight them by deactivating your social media accounts, but that would be giving the left just what they wanted in the first place. So instead of letting big tech sites try to control your speech, why not revoke their right to your data? That's why I choose to protect my online data by using ExpressVPN. You know, these companies, they track your searches, your video history, everything you click on, and they sell your valuable data. But when you use ExpressVPN, you anonymize much of your online presence. It hides your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from eavesdroppers on your network, and the app couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone and computer, and you're protected by ExpressVPN. So it's finally time to say no to censorship, censorship, sorry, and take back your online privacy with the VPN I trust at expressvpn.com slash commentary. By visiting my link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's EX. P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash commentary, expressvpn.com slash commentary to protect your data today. You know, I almost cracked up there and lost it because I had a flashback. Uh, I do this other podcast, the Glop podcast, and I had to read an ad uh, uh, over the weekend about a, a product that uh, sells uh, kitty litter. And uh, if you go listen to that podcast around the 50th minute, you can hear me completely go up and dissolve into into peals of laughter uh, because uh, it's called the Kitty Poo Club. And I had to say Kitty Poo Club over and over again. So you might have heard me almost almost lose it there. Uh, and that, that's sort of the, the, the explanation for that. <clears throat> what else do we have to talk about, you guys? Can, can I raise two weird weird things? Like Please. have a, like a special surreal cultural moment. One is that why in the world did the Peter Luger Steakhouse think it was wise to put wax figurines of like well-known celebrities all around its restaurant? That creeps me out. That, that hits the restaurant uncanny valley for me. The other is, you know, Dr. Seuss has been canceled, which for those of us who knew he was already a Stalinist, I'm like, eh, shrug. I don't really. <laughs> okay. 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 Peter Luger is my father's favorite place on earth. So I want to defend Peter Luger simply so that they'll treat him nicely. Anyway, I'll Peter Luger this. is hey, following now, Weird Christine, wax figures. <laughs> Christine. Yes. The wax figure was not the creation of Peter Luger. It was the creation, I believe, of the Inn at Little Washington. Last year, the Inn at Little Washington, a restaurant outside uh, one of the most expensive and uh, prestigious restaurants in America, outside uh, in the suburbs of D.C., uh, when uh, they were told they had to go to uh, lower capacity, put dummies up yeah. in chairs in order to fill seats at tables so that the place wouldn't look empty and wouldn't be weird. So Peter Luger decided to go with kind of Madame Tussauds. It's like dine in Madame Tussauds. If you're going to dine indoors and you can only have 25%, you still want to be in a full restaurant. But and let's like face Holly it. Holly Golightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's. And, you know, if you go down that path, you're like, I'm sitting next to Holly Golightly, who's a wax figurine, who's played by Audrey Hepburn, who's dead. And then you look at someone else, like the half of them are now dead. It's it's weird. It's a weird mood there. They seem to be wanting to create. It's also very dystopian to dine yes. among fake people. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's very Westworld well, vibe to it. <laughs> well, we all, I mean, if you watched like uh, football games and stuff and the World Series, they had all those the, those weird like figures in the stand. They had those those bizarre flat figures in the stands. Look, these, they're all just trying to save themselves. I don't know. I mean. No, I understand. I, I just feel I haven't like been to Peter Luger. 
But we need to talk about Dr. Seuss because the interesting thing here is that the decision to suppress certain works by Dr. Seuss is being made by Dr. Seuss. I mean, not Dr. Seuss himself, but the Dr. Seuss whatever, the Dr. Seuss industry owned, I guess, by the Dr. Seuss estate has decided that books like uh, To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street and McEllicott's Pool can no longer be published and will no longer be published because they have illustrations that are offensive, I guess. That is not entirely true. Now, I can't reveal all my thoughts on this because the audience will have to wait a year for my your book thoughts yes. on this controversy. But this began early last or mid last week. Loudoun County Public School District in Virginia decided to ban these books because of their, quote, racial undertones. This today, yesterday, this Dr. Seuss estate combed through the catalog and determined that there were racially inappropriate images in six of these books, and they would stop publishing. The Los Angeles Times reports, by the way, that you don't have to worry because the cat in the hat, while it's got received a lot of criticism, that's still going to be published for now. So buy your physical media. And today, the Biden administration removes references to Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Day. All of this happened within the space of six days. There was no public consensus around this. It was determined by, according to the Dr. Seuss people, uh, conferences and inform and you know gauging the sentiments of teachers, academics, specialists, and panelists of educators, the people who determine themselves to, it, that have determined that it is within their remit not only to contextualize works that contain dated imagery and dated references, but to simply bottlerize them or ban them altogether. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter whether you have any input on this because you do not know what's best for you. Okay, but... The alacrity with which this happened is quite unnerving. But the North Korean element here is that Dr. Seuss is banning Dr. Seuss. Fine, so let Loudoun County ban Dr. Seuss and make make people, you know, I mean, I don't know, you can go to the bookstore and buy Dr. Seuss nonetheless. If the Dr. Seuss estate refuses to publish Dr. Seuss, is treating some of these books by Dr. Seuss as though they are Song of the South, the Disney movie that has been suppressed because of its because of its racial imagery. That is the Dr. Seuss estate admitting that Theodore Geisel, one of the most left-wing people in America, and certainly an advocate for a racial reconciliation and 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 uh, and you know desegregation, everything like that, in the 90s and 40s and 50s, was somehow the creator of you know evils that need to be suppressed. That's 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 a new wrinkle. Well, but it's like saying, you know, it's like saying, uh, you know, the Anthony Trollope estate says because Trollope's portrait of Jews in a couple of books are are anti-Semitic that they will no longer publish, you know, uh, I don't know, Phineas Finn. I mean, that, you know. But it's but this was already happening in the sense that, like, certainly in terms of the sales of, of a lot of these books, I mean, obviously, Amazon has been pulling books it deems controversial. And given how what percentage of the of the publishing industry it controls in terms of book distribution, that's a that's a huge issue. You know, there was also the infamous moment where they withdrew the 1984, ironically, because of copyright issues from people's electronic devices, which reminded everyone that when you download a book, you still don't own it. You, you, you don't have it in in 
any way, shape or form is property that you can keep and, and uh, for yourself, it can be taken away from you. So we've had these little dystopian you know, snippets here and there, but this is the same thing about the free speech arguments about, you know, the real danger isn't banning the speech. It's the people who self-censor so that they don't get called out for their speech. Like, no, it's, 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 well, I mean, it's that. It's a little bit worse than that because the, this had to move with such speed for fear of the fact that people would reject it. That's a good point. Consumers yeah. of this literature might say, wait, 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 wait. This is all moving too fast for us. And wait, maybe there's some mitigating context here or some value to these books. That doesn't mean they need to be banned entirely. They didn't want that input. They were afraid of that input. So it had to happen really fast. Otherwise, they would get input from people who actually consume this sort of thing, not the experts and the educators and the people who know what's best for you. Look, we got to end on a, on a note of crushing morosity. This is terrible. Uh, wh whatever reason explains the celerity with which this happens and the decision of the Dr. Seuss estate to suppress Dr. Seuss, uh, you know, it's uh, just the headlong rush not only into idiocracy, but into this kind of bizarre thing where we are turning ourselves uh, into uh, by, willingly and by choice and not through a coup into North Korea. I mean, I, I know that sounds like excessive and extreme, but, uh, you know, I mean, ordinarily this stuff is uh, visited upon you by, you know, by a small band of, of revolutionaries who take everything over. And this is now happening sort of in some kind of weird mass I mean, way. It's like it, we used to call memory holding, you know, taking something that was published and then disappearing, but it's like woke holding or something that sounds yeah. less disgusting. But like, you know, <laughs> oh, the, oh, the places you'll go is now like into the void. That's where you'll go. I mean, there's- Yeah, exactly. Really surreal. You know, uh, guys, uh, just uh, the last thing I need to tell you about is Upstart, because you know that credit card, the one you're afraid to look at to see what the balance is? If you've been avoiding your debt, it's time to confront it. Upstart can help you face it and finally pay it off. If you have multiple credit cards, you know the tracking uh, balances, due dates, website logins can be stressful. Upstart makes things simple with one monthly payment in one place. The fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Pay off credit cards, you can consolidate high interest debt, you can fund personal expenses using Upstart like over half a million people to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. So to find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today, when you go to Upstart, you do it by going to upstart.com slash commentary. That's upstart.com slash commentary. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. So I, I did want to end on the note that everything is terrible. Uh, and 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 we kind of uh, we kind of did that. And on the other hand, the vaccines are coming. I mean, Merck is making the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And despite the equity questions that are raised by the fact that only the best people are going to get two shots three and four weeks apart as opposed to people who could just go in, get one shot, and be done with it, which kind of sounds better to me, by the way, because uh, uh, as I told you, I've gotten my first dose of the vaccine, and i got to go back out to Aqueduct Racetrack to get my second in a couple of weeks and take an entire afternoon to do that. 
I might have preferred to do Johnson and Johnson to, to, to just to be done with. I would take anything that they would give me, but of course, obviously, it, you know, it's it's terrible because uh, you know only the you know I mean, that's not what uh, that's not what Fauci would do because of course Fauci has now said you must take two doses of Moderna and uh, you know and Pfizer. That's his latest. Uh, you know, you cannot just have one. Um. I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't want to. Well, some of us haven't ha- even ha- don't have a hope in in you know Hades of getting even anything right now. If you're in the district and you don't have comorbidities, I mean, I'll be sitting here. I'm happy to take a single dose of inequitable Johnson and Johnson whenever I can. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, so but uh, they're coming. They're coming. And if Merck and you know if Merck and uh, if Merck and Johnson and Johnson can make two hundred you know can make two hundred million doses in a month. Uh, you know, uh, we are going to be out of this fast or as fast as is humanly possible. So I didn't want to end on a note of crushing morosity, even though that is, so I, I, I wanted to mention crushing morosity so that the people know that they can go to merch.commentarymagazine.com and get that crushing morosity t-shirt and sweatshirt, as well as the commentary magazine shirt or the commentary magazine tote bag. And of course the t-shirt that says what I'm just now about to say, for Noah, Christine, and Abe, this is John Pod Horitz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>